I know I say this every week. I cannot tell you how good it is to see you. How excited I am that we get to share this moment together. A great job by the worship team, I thought, and I absolutely loved the video. Amazing job on that. Uh, I want to share a sermon with you that I don't have a title for. Okay, I'll title it before we post it tomorrow. But I can tell you who the message is for. I'm going to preach this morning to somebody sitting here who's afraid. You're fearful. You're experiencing an increased level of anxiety. You've surveyed the horizon of your life and you see storm clouds gathering. You're starting to feel the winds of adversity pick up. Not trying to be a prophet of doom, but trouble's coming. And you feel it. It could be that some enemies have risen up in your life. And they're about to intensify the level of their attacks against you. And you know it. Maybe our common enemy, the devil, has made a decision that he's going to launch a full-scale war against you, and you sense that. <laughs> Whatever it is that you see in your immediate future, it's creating a real sense of dread in you. Now, if that's you, I have a word from the Lord that I'm supposed to pass on to you. Things are never as bad as they look. You got it? Now, let me illustrate that with a story found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. At the outset of the story, the king of Aram has declared war against Israel. He brings his military advisors together and they plot out a strategy and they pick a spot where they're going to lay an ambush for the king of Israel. And so they deplore their troops to that site. And when the meeting is over, they deplore the troops to that site. But after the meeting, God shared with a prophet named Elisha everything they'd talked about. And Elisha goes to the king of Israel and says, hey, don't go to this particular spot. Because the Aramaeans are waiting on you. Well, the king, just to confirm that the preacher is telling him the truth, he sends some scouts out who come back and said, it's just exactly as the preacher said. So the Aramaeans sit there for some undisclosed period of time waiting on the king of Israel, and he never comes. So they go back in, they have another meeting, they pick another site, after the meeting, they deplore the troops. God tells the preacher what's going on. The preacher tells the king of Israel. And once again, he avoids the ambush. And this goes out and back and out and back until finally the king of Aram calls his military advisors together and says, one of you is a traitor. You're, you're leaking secrets. One of the guys says, no, no, that's not it. He said, the truth is that God is listening to everything we're saying in these planning sessions. And once we're through, he just tells this preacher named Elijah who tells the king, and that's the reason we can't corner him. And so the king of Aram says, 
a preacher. Where is this preacher? Go find him for me. And so he obviously sends out some men that come back and say, the preacher is holed up in a little town called Dothan. And so the king of Aram puts together, now you think about this, this I thought this was amazing. The Bible said, and this is a phrase that's used, this king put together a great army to go after the preacher. Why not just six rangers? Listen, man, you know, why, why not one buck private to go after a preacher? I mean, what do you think? You put together a great army. There were troops, there were horsemen, and the Bible says there were many chariots that were assembled to go after this guy. They traveled in the night, they come to Dothan, they completely encircle the town. Morning comes, the preacher's assistant gets up, walks out on the porch, and Ray, lo and behold, what does he see? In every direction, he sees Arameans. There are the troops, there are the horsemen, there are the chariots. And how do you think he responded? It scared the wits out of him. He goes into a state of panic, goes to the preacher, and he asks, what are we going to do? I mean, what are we going to do? To him, it appeared there was absolutely no move that they could make. He was frightened. And how does Elisha respond? I want you to read these two verses with me. I think they're amazing. Verse number 16, 2 Kings chapter 6. Look what Elisha said to him. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Really? Just, Just calm down. Nothing to worry about here. And I, you know, the guy, the, the servant's got to be thinking, man, he must be on some good stuff. He's on some tranquil. I mean, I don't know what he took last night. But there is reason for us to be afraid. Elisha goes on to say, now you think that's weird, don't be afraid. Elisha goes on and says, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Really? Can you imagine that servant going, man, I don't know where you got your education but I can count one two and there's a whole lot more than two on that hillside Elisha quickly responds look what he says verse 17 then Elisha prayed oh Lord open his eyes and let him see the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire Why wasn't Elisha freaking out? He didn't just see the natural realm. He could see the supernatural realm. And he prays, and that's why was the why was the servant freaking out? He couldn't see the supernatural realm, only the natural. So Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see what I see. And God gave him the ability to see both dimensions. And he saw these horses and chariots of fire sitting on the mountain. You say, what were they? That's a biblical reference to angels. Now, if you're visiting with you, I know what you're thinking. Uh Uh-oh, we got us a nut in the pulpit. Hey, I'm just telling you, these were angels. God knew the situation. He saw the dilemma that Elisha and his servant was in. And so he had made a counter move. He had dispatched angels, more angels than there were Arameans. And these weren't these rosy-cheeked, chubby, effeminate little angels we see the pictures of. These were mighty, angelic warriors who had been sent to defend and ultimately deliver these two men. In moments, the Arameans began to descend out of the hills toward the preacher and his servant. 
and they're getting closer and closer. I'm telling you, the threat was imminent. And, and, and all of a sudden, Elisha prays, and he said, Oh, Lord, please make them blind. That's it. And the Bible says in response to that prayer, God struck them with blindness. And the Hebrew phrase, struck with blindness, implies a bright flash of light. That's kind of, all of a sudden, God goes, and everybody, I believe they were kind of like moles that were just dug themselves out of the ground. I believe they're all blinking. They can't see a thing. And apparently Elisha walks up to him and says, Hey guys, welcome to Dothan. Is there anything I can help you with? And they said, Well, we came here looking for a preacher named Elisha. He said, I know him. I said, I'm serious. He said, I know him. Problem is, he's not here. He is in Samaria. Would you like for me to, to take you there? And they go, Well, yeah. So the next thing you know, Elisha and his servant are leading this entire great army to Samaria. Now, Samaria is where the king was, the king of Israel. It's where his palace was, and anywhere the king was, that town was heavily fortified with Israelite soldiers. So you know what? <laughs> Elisha is leading them into more or less of an ambush, is what it looks like. He gets him into town, gets them all into town, and then he prays, Lord, open their eyes up. Well, they open their eyes, and they're right in the living room of their enemy. Now, the king of Israel, he sees it for what it is, and he says, Preacher, can I kill him? And Elisha said, nah, let's not do that. Instead of killing them, let's feed them. So they prepared a big feast, and essentially they had a picnic together. And then Elisha sent them on their way. And for years and years and years, the Aramaeans never lifted a finger against the Israelites because I believe they learned a valuable lesson through this experience, and that is if you're going to fight against the Israelites, you're going to fight against their God because God is on their side. Now, what do we learn in this story? I think a very simple lesson. Things are never as bad as they look. If you had to ask Elisha's servant, what did you learn from this episode of your life? I believe he would say, I learned that things are never as bad as they first appear because God is on our side. Well, that's a great takeaway that I want you to take with you today from this story. Your situation is not as bad as you think. Your situation is not as bad as it looks, and here's why. God is on your side. You say, Ronnie, you, you, you speak with such confidence. How can I know that God is on my side? I want us to read a verse of Scripture together. And uh, if you are, uh, listen, if you're currently experiencing some greater level of anxiety, it would be good if you memorize this verse, and it is Isaiah 41, verse 10. I believe it's going to be on the screen behind me. Look what God says. He says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and what's this? What are these next words? And I'll help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand, which simply means through my power, I'll help you overcome this. I'll help you overcome whatever you're facing. God himself is on our side. The one who is on our side is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He knows who our enemies are and what they're planning next. God knows exactly how the devil is scheming against us and his need be. He'll give us a heads up so we can outmaneuver our adversary. 
God knows exactly what we need, and he's already putting together a counter move to assure that in the end we win. The one who is on our side is omnipotent, which means he has unlimited power. He proved to be more powerful than the Aramean army, and he'll prove to be a lot more powerful than anyone who ever raises their hand against us. Yes, the devil is a powerful enemy, but he is no match for our God. For the Bible declares that greater is he who is in us, speaking of God, than he that is in the world, speaking of the devil. The one who is on our side is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. The God of infinite wisdom and power is always with us to defend and ultimately deliver us. Therefore, the odds are never stacked against us, but the odds are always stacked heavily in our favor. Things are never as bad as they look because God is on our side. That is a word for somebody in this church today. So in light of that, what do we do? Don't panic. Pray. No matter what you're facing, don't panic. God is on your side, and he's got this. When I was a young man, I watched a movie called Jeremiah Johnson. And in the movie, Jeremiah decides he wants to be a mountain man. He moves into the Rocky Mountains where he hunts, fishes, and traps. At that point, I made a note on my bucket list. Before I die, I not only want to see the Rocky Mountains, I want to experience the Rocky Mountains. In 1999... That dream was right on the brink of becoming a reality. A friend of mine, Bill Childs, had invited me and another friend, Phil Bailey, to go to Yellowstone National Park. And there we were going to backpack deep into the Rockies and set up an extended camp. We were going to sleep under the stars, listen to the wolves howl, and we were going to fly fish for cutthroat trout. I I can't tell you how excited I was until Bill showed up at my house one day with a little book entitled Bear Aware. I'm like, what is this? He said, now we're going to be cohabiting with grizzly bears for about 10 days. I'm like, really? (laughs) I was thinking more of the trout than these bears. And so this book is going to outline things you do or things you don't do so that we can minimize the odds that we have an encounter with an angry grizzly. Huh. So I read the book. It did outline some do's and don'ts, but it was filled with one horrific story of bear maulings after another. So I start feeling some anxiety. You know? And, you know, it seemed like every time Lynn and I turned on the TV, there was this documentary about grizzlies going crazy on human beings. They'd interview some guy with half a face saying, well, I don't know, it just came right out of nowhere. They man, I don't want to come back with half a face. I mean, the anxiety is building. And then Bill comes up with this idea. He said, I'll tell you what I want to do. He said, I want, there's, always, there's something I've always wanted to do. I, let's, let's walk all the way out of Yellowstone. Let's walk up into the Zorka Beartooth Wilderness. And let's set up a camp up there at a place called Frenchy's Meadow. We're going to be up there all by ourselves in 994,000 acres of wilderness. Isn't that going to be great? And I'm thinking, yeah, man, yeah, it's going to be really wonderful. 
Here's the only consolation I had. The only thing that comforted me is there were going to be three of us. I'd sized Bill up. And I felt like Bill could outrun me. But I'd sized Phil up, and I was pretty sure I could outrun him. So if, it, if anything went down, I knew. I, I can outrun Phil. He'll be the bear bait, and I'm out of there. So we get down to the Atlanta airport. We're standing at the, we're standing at the check-in counter, and Phil taps on the shoulder and says, I had a change of heart. I'm not going on the trip. I've already called for somebody to come and get me. Y'all have a good time. It didn't hit me till we were probably over Kansas. Oh, my goodness. There's only going to be two of us in this grizzly maze. And the other guy with is faster than me. We, we land, we go to the ranger station, we get our backcountry permit. And, and Bill tells the lady there, said, uh, uh, you know, the ranger said, we're going to go to Frenchie's Meadow. And she, she did like this. She was feeling like it. And she went, she said, no, nobody ever does that. Uh, you need to be careful of these grizzlies. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I didn't, you know, men, we got this ego, we're macho. I'm sitting there thinking, please, God, help him hear what she is saying. <laughs> huh? Well, he didn't listen, so two nights later, I'm 15 miles from our vehicle in the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness, just me and Bill Childs. I'll tell you what, during the daylight, I, I, I've never been happier. It was, the scenery was far beyond anything I'd ever seen. The fishing eclipsed any fishing fantasy I'd ever had. I was doing great until the sun went down. We built us a fire. We made our supper. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is the last meal before I become a meal. <laughs> and I wish I'd had more time to prepare because my last meal wouldn't have been dehydrated beef stroganoff. So finally Bill goes, well, I believe I'm going to turn in. I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, I felt safer just kind of sitting. So I try, I do, I say anything to keep the conversation going. Hey, uh, uh, Bill, if you had to choose, mozzarella, cheddar, I mean, which would you go with? Just anything. He's like, what? Finally he goes, yeah, I'm turning in. He gets in the tent. I hear the door zip close, and I'm sitting there by myself. And I'm nervous. Man, I'm anxious. The fire's dying just beyond the glow of our fire. There's 1,475 square miles of darkness. And as far as I'm concerned, it's filled with hungry bears who are about to go out and find something to eat. And the thought occurred to me, maybe I'm safer in that tent than I am sitting out here on this rock. I slide up in the tent thinking, okay, if I'm going to be a bear entree, bring it on. Turn on my headlamp, get my Bible. My Bible opens. I'm telling you, it opened to Psalm 121. I still call it the Yellowstone Psalm. This is what I began to read. I want you to read it with me. I look up to the mountains. Does, does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Did you catch that phrase? The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he, he who watches for Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Look at this next line. I, I can't tell you how comforting this was to me. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. In other words, it's a 24-hour watch. The Lord keeps you from how much harm? Do you see this? All harm. And watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go. It means wherever you're at, wherever you go, both now and forever. Now, as I'm reading that, I hear this voice, this gentle whisper in my mind say, Ronnie, I'm here. It's not just you and Bill. I'm here. And I'm standing right outside this tent door. I'm not going anywhere. Anything that would intend harm to you got to come through me. And that's not going to happen. So you may as well go to sleep. Because I got this. I cut that headlamp off, rolled over, and slept like a baby. Slept like a baby every other night. I say that to say this to you. You don't have to stay up at night and pace the floor and try to figure out what to do. God's got this. You don't have to be plagued by anxiety attacks. God's got this. You don't have to look into your future with a sense of dread. Because God has got this. So rather than panicking, I want you to try praying. That's what Elisha did. Recognizing that God was on their side, recognizing that God was with them, recognizing that God wanted to help them, Elisha prayed. He prayed a simple six-word prayer, and God immobilized an entire army. They're going to put one sentence of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 on the screen. Paul exhorts us, don't worry about anything. Instead, look at that. What do we do? We pray about everything. When we feel outnumbered and outgunned, most of us instinctively worry. That's got to change. Rather than worrying, we should instinctively pray. As a matter of fact, every time we feel fear, it ought to be the cue to us that it's time to pray. Pray that God will enable you to see clearly that he's on your side. Pray that God will guide you through the enemy's minefields. Pray that God will render your enemies helpless. Pray for God's protection and deliverance. Pray for your enemies and pray for the ability to be gracious in victory because that's what's coming. Will you go back to Yellowstone with me one more time? A few years later, Bill and I planned another trip. The day before we departed, Trent, I went to the Yellowstone website. Just wanted to get a weather report. That's all I wanted. Web page comes up, big, bold letters. It said three bear maulings in the past six days. Now, apparently, these grizzly bears go over to the high country in September, and they fatten themselves for hibernation on the nuts from the white bark pine. That year, the crop had failed. They had nothing to eat. So they came down to the campgrounds. They were raiding tents and accosting hikers just in the hopes of looking for food. We land, we go to the backcountry office. They tell us yesterday, four mauling, four, four maulings in seven days. With great reluctance, the ranger allowed us to go on into the backcountry. And why we would do that, I have no earthly idea. <laughs> we walked in about nine miles, set up a camp, fished, had a great time. The morning we're leaving, we, we, load, our, we load our packs, we shoulder the packs, and we're grateful that we didn't have any bear encounters. So Bill and I are walking down the trail. He's on my left, I'm on the right, and, and I was talking as I am prone to do. I was talking. And, all, and there's, there's a little embankment to my left. 
And behind that embankment, this big grizzly stood up on two feet, just like you see in the movie, stood up. Well, before I could get the whole word grizzly out of my mouth and, and Bill could turn his head, the grizzly dropped down behind the embankment. You know what Bill thought? He thought I was panicking. He thought I was freaking out. And so I'm like, man, I'm telling you, I really did see a grizzly. Well, in just a moment, the grizzly appears on the embankment, and he's trotting along parallel to us, and Bill sees him. He goes down to the end of the embankment. There's a little saddle there, and he came down the saddle, and he turned, and he starts walking straight to us. Bill is one step behind me. And he said, get your pepper spray out of the holster and disengage the safety. We're about to have a grizzly encounter. Let me tell you what, that's about the last thing you ever want to have anybody say to you. So this big boar grizzly, and he's doing that cowboy thing. He's, he's coming down there to us, and, and I'm standing there braced. I've got my pepper spray, and I'm thinking to myself, well, at least there's two of us, and each of us has a full canister of this stuff. And, and I turn to see exactly what Bill's doing, and he's down on one knee with his camera looking through the lens. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He said, i got to get pictures of this. I'm standing there with a pressurized container of Texas peat and a friend that's ready to get some great shots of me being dismembered. Surprisingly, I was calm. I was just as calm as I could be. And the little bear just keeps walking. And the thought occurred to me, I probably ought to pray. I prayed a three-word prayer, God protect us. You can believe this or not, the bear stopped within about 30 yards of us. He just kind of studies us over. And all of a sudden, that bear whirled around. He didn't waddle off. He didn't walk off. He ran off. I mean, he ran like somebody shot him in the rump with a load of bird shot. I mean, he took off running and disappeared into the timber. And I thought, there, there you go. You know better than to mess with the preacher. You tell the rest of your buddies, the preacher is in the Rockies. Steer clear. <laughs> I, I really didn't think much about it until we, we were another mile or two down the trail. This thought occurred to me. I believe it with all of my heart. I believe it. You would never convince me any differently. I believe that when I prayed that prayer, God opened the bear's eyes. And allowed the bear to see more than the natural dimension. I believe the bear saw the supernatural dimension. I believe God made the bear angel aware. And the thought of the angels that God had dispatched, the, the sight of the angels that God had dispatched to protect us on our trip, scared him. Some of you in a far more frightening situation than having a grizzly approach you. Really. 
I was in here today to tell you this. Your situation is not nearly as bad as you're thinking. It's not nearly as bad as it looks. You know why? God's on your side. He's on your side. So rather than panicking, here's what I think you should do. Pray, 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 and watch what God does for you. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray this prayer. Somebody sitting in this room needs you to open their eyes so that they can see two dimensions. I want them to see the supernatural dimension. And I want them to see you standing at their side. Ready to go into battle for their sake. I want them to see you as their shield, their protector, their rock, their defender. And to understand that you're standing on ready to take up their cause. I pray that as they see you, their anxiety will begin to diminish. And that courage and faith will take its place. And that long before the threat is gone, they'll find peace. Knowing, knowing that you've got this. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Hope you have an outstanding week. You're dismissed.